I think we're going to see more and more of those kind of people who actually want to do everything from their smartphone. So that way, I only see that over the long period of time, this is possibly going to explode. I'm sensing that we are possibly only seeing the tip of the iceberg today. This is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action with host Arman Shraki. Each week, Armin will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of SaaS Scaled. I'm here with Oscar Aniswarka, and he's CEO and co-founder of Vitrope. Thank you very much for joining us. Hey, Arman. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? We would like to know, you know, a little bit about your background, and then we will go to the next question about, you know, how did you end up joining the company and starting the company and what the company does. So if you wanted to do answer all of those, at once, that's fine. Just, you know, tell us about the story. I co-founded Vajro about four years back. That's when we launched Vajro for Shopify. So we are basically a mobile app builder. We basically help e-commerce stores get their Android and iOS apps without needing to write a single line of code. So that's uh, fundamentally what we do. And over the last uh, few years, We have helped thousands of e-commerce stores get their Android and iOS apps. And it's basically a sales channel for them to be able to, you know, retain, engage, and sell to their customers. It seems like you you guys are also working with Shopify, is it correct? So if someone is doing a particular domain, particular segment that you are mostly active there, where is the sweetest spot for the company? Yeah, you're right. Shopify is basically the principle with which we are aligned to today. So all our stores essentially need to have their e-commerce backbone with Shopify. With respect to the segments, we usually present a very interesting stat. So 70% of our clients are in the US, 70% of our clients are fashion stores and boutiques, and 70% of our clients are actually women entrepreneurs. Oh, interesting. So you guys have a magic number that you work yeah. with. <laughs> yeah. When you read about it, it sounds actually magical. No no coding. You don't need to write a single line of code. And within one hour, you guys say you can create a kind of mobile app sometimes as quick as hours, if not in one hour. At, but in a matter of hours, you can really set up functional that that's really what you guys claim. It it sounds very magical. Can you expand upon what are the real stories that you have heard and something that people do and is fascinating? 
Yeah, it's it's true that we try to get the app built within uh, 60 minutes of our clients getting on a call with us. Of course, they need to have certain assets ready, right? So, for example, it could be their logo or their color scheme and so on. So they, they need to have all of that ready. So uh, if they have it ready, they should be able to build that app within 60 minutes. And that, that makes perfect sense. So those are the data that they need to have. And then you say, if you have everything ready, this is the checklist, then you start and in 60 minutes, we can get the job done and you have the basic version or the first version or the standard version, whatever you name it. And then from there, you can, you know, incrementally upgrade it or improve it. Absolutely, Arma. That's precisely how we do it. We typically ask their clients to come into the call with their assets. During the call, we help them build their app. As you rightly said, 60 minutes is like the kind of the base version, right? So it could get more complex. Therefore, it could potentially take more time. But a basic app is definitely something that our customers can build within a matter of uh, 60 minutes. Post that, uh, the apps uh, need to be submitted to Google and Apple for their approval. So there, there was actually a time about a couple of years back when Google was quite fast in their approval process as well. So we have actually had at least a few clients who have gone live with their app like within a couple of hours. That has happened too. But these days, uh, Google and Apple typically take at least uh, a few days time to approve the, the apps. Our promise is to basically get the apps ready to be submitted to Google and Apple within an hour. That's what we work on. Of course, this smartphone phenomenon happened during the last 15 years, right? So before then that, we didn't have any smartphone in the way we do today. And I think I read somewhere, maybe Wall Street Journal, I think, that there was a report that said, we have been learning how to use these smartphones during the last 15 years. And now we start learning how not to use the smartphones in the future, because then using it every minute and sometimes too much doesn't seem to be a good idea. And now we are so addicted that the tough part is, okay, how can we kind of slow down and moderate on using smartphones? But my point was that it's so integrated into everybody's life. And what they did in that report that was very interesting, they actually interviewed a family that their son was actually born at the same day that Apple iPhone was introduced. So literally that person never has lived in a world without a smartphone. And then how that person actually through the different phases of life utilized and how parents utilized the smartphone. And it was capturing the whole life using that device and the way it impacted. And it was fascinating. Um, so definitely smartphones are here to stay. But do you see the next 15 years to be exactly the same? Do you see that? Because, you know, the, the, the recent upgrades have been very incremental with regard to smartphones. And we are very comfortable with our phones now. They have fantastic camera. They have fantastic type of sensors, even health data with other devices connected to them. You know, managing home, if your home is a kind of digital home, many aspects of the home can be controlled. Even car, if your car is a little bit more, you know, digital type of car, you can manage a lot of aspects of your car with your mobile phone. So anywhere you go, you can pay, by using so 
How do you see moving forward from your perspective being at the center of these building apps and working with mobile phones and smartphones? Is there anything that occurs to you that, hmm, I think definitely we are going to see these major differences and major upgrades and major changes coming to this smartphone world? Sure. I'll, I'll possibly start off with what Steve Wozniak actually spoke about smartphones and cars. So he actually made the reference and said, if you look at the last 100 years, how cars have evolved, we have seen significant evolution inside of the car, where in terms of, you know, how the car has actually been built in terms of, you know, having four wheels and a body structure on top of it, that has really not changed much at all, right? So it has gotten sleeker. It has gotten a lot of tech-heavy stuff inside it, but the fundamental structure has not changed. So, and he actually went on to argue that it's going to be pretty much the same case with smartphones. The the functionality inside is uh, definitely going to keep getting better, and it's going to connect a lot more devices outside of the phone itself, right? They're talking about smart homes, smart cars, and so on, right? So that's definitely going to happen, but the smartphone itself is possibly here to stay for a long, long time to come. The other thing that I'm noticing is, you know, the user behavior. There was a time when people used to ask me, uh, hey, wh- why would anyone want to buy or I mean, download an app? So th- that was a question that people used to ask me a few years back, but nobody's asking me those questions today because they know that we are all comfortable in shopping through apps. You rightly mentioned about uh, the millennials, right? So they have grown up with the smartphone. They actually like to shop a lot more using apps and uh, the social platforms than the previous generations. So as we keep moving along in time, I think we are going to see more and more of those kind of people who actually want to do everything from their smartphone. So that way, I only see that over the long period of time, this is possibly going to explode. I'm sensing that we are possibly only seeing the tip of the iceberg today. You are not a SaaS company per se, I would say, but you are empowering SaaS companies. Is it true? Or you are SaaS in a way because all of the apps you are building actually is running on your, I guess, platform. So in a way, you are serving all of those apps that are being built. And then that way you can say, I'm really providing software as a service to all of those people who are building SaaS. And then... I guess your revenue is more subscription model. Now, the question is, what is your marketing? How do you do your marketing? Which model of product marketing and marketing you guys have? So to answer your first question, I think we are actually a past company. So it's a, it's a platform as a service. That's really what we offer. So people basically use our platform and create their own apps. That's really who we are. To answer the second part of your question. The the marketing model that you guys have. Oh, the the marketing model. Yeah. When we actually launched Vajro for Shopify four years back, we did absolutely no marketing at all. We acquired the first few hundred customers without doing anything on the marketing side. We basically launched our product. And when we launched, we launched it at just $25 a month. That was our base plan. And then we added a lot of features and then launched a $125 plan. When we did all of that, the growth was completely organic. Shopify ecosystem was also not very competitive at that point of time. We were only about three or four players that offered a mobile app. 
Therefore, uh, it was less competition and it was there was a lot of visibility uh, within the Shopify ecosystem. So that kind of helped us drive a lot of initial traction for us that helped us validate the market, that helped us you know, understand what the customers really wanted and so on and so forth. Then as we grew on, we wanted to grow faster. So we started quite a bit of marketing. We initially started with communities. So there, there were a few communities where a lot of Shopify entrepreneurs were present and uh, you know, they were basically looking out for how they could build their revenues, how they could increase sales and so on. So we started building our brand in those groups and communities and uh, that helped us, you know, go beyond Shopify ecosystem and uh, start looking at uh, leads from outside of it. Then we started doing a lot of digital marketing and we also started doing paid ads and uh, then we started our uh, partnership initiatives and started tying up with uh, other plugins in the ecosystem and co-marketing and so on and so forth. So now we have a kind of a settled marketing team that that does all of this. We started out organic. Now 98% of the traffic that we drive uh, is inorganic. Is it would be accurate if we characterize your sales model more kind of a product-led growth style or do you characterize that or is the product good enough fit? for that model to say, you know, this is perfect fit for them to do PLG or or you would say uh, still on the sales part after the marketing is done, you have some other, you know, sales team taking over and doing the sales and doing those kind of things. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's a very, very interesting question. I had never heard of the term PLG until possibly about a year back, but we were following most of the PLG principles so, and the fact that our initial growth was entirely organic is possibly a testimony to the fact that we were product-led growth. All that points to it, but a couple of things that stand out with us. First, it's a bit of a, I wouldn't say irony, but possibly kind of, you know, if, if we take a step back and look at it, we realize that most of our clients, even though they are e-commerce store owners, they're not necessarily very tech savvy. So they actually need a lot of help in terms of, you know, getting their apps live and creating a Google and Apple developer account and so on and so forth. Therefore, for that reason, we are very support heavy. Even though we are support heavy, that doesn't mean that uh, we are not PLG. So a lot of people actually mistake PLG to be self-serve. That's, that's not really true. So it, it, it is much more than that. We are support heavy, but at the same time, it is possible we provide the opportunity for our store owners or clients to basically use the self-serve model and do stuff on their own. But at the same time, we are pretty support heavy as well. So that's that's one thing that stands out. The other thing that stands out for us is we actually cater to a niche. So our potential clients are restricted to the e-commerce universe. We can never have uh, the kind of viral growth that a company possibly like Slack or Zoom had and possibly would continue to have, right? Basically because Slack or Zoom can be used by any company in the world, right? But that's not the case with Vajro. Only an e-commerce store can actually use Vajro. There are two things that stand out, but I would possibly say we have adopted a lot of PLG principles 
And uh, that has definitely resulted in significant growth and other key metrics for us. You don't have any particular sales team allocated to these to really their job is full-time sales or you have, but it's lean. It's not that huge. The reason I ask the question, because if you think about the companies that either the growth is coming from the marketing side and marketing is generating that growth is a growth engine or sales is the growth engine. Marketing is more supportive role for sales. And then you have product that is the reported, the growth engine. And then developers or users somehow find it in Apple, in Apple store or some places. And then they go and try it. And if they like, then they start paying for it. But you get actually majority starting with that kind of experience with the app and if they liked it. So if you maybe too much simplifying here on my behalf, but if you look at it from that standpoint and say marketing is, is my growth engine or sales is my growth engine or product, how would you categorize Vajra as a company that, you know, does that and it might be a percentage not a clear cut black and white but nonetheless one of them is the major one when we started out it was purely product led we were providing a little bit of support even then assisting clients and helping them go live so that is how we started but if you ask me today i would say it's equal between marketing sales and the product itself so the, the product is definitely the base because unless you have a great product, it's not going to be easy for the product has got to be not only easy and intuitive for people to be able to use it, but also the features itself uh, should be powerful enough so that e-commerce stores can really leverage the app and make more sales. So that way, the product is always at the center of it. As I said, the Shopify ecosystem has got really competitive. So from that perspective, we've been you know investing a lot in marketing. We also have a 24 by 7 sales team uh, to back it up whenever uh, an install comes. could be from anywhere in the world. We actually have clients from over 100 countries. We are always there to serve the clients and make sure that you know we take them, take them through the workflow and get their apps live. No, that's great. That's a very kind of balanced model you guys have. So, And it's great that you have all the options available to you. And as you said, the market is very dynamic. And it's something outside your control. It's just happening outside the company. And you need to have all three kind of levers to work with. And depending on where the market is going, and then you can adjust it. Absolutely. You have been growing the business successfully. That's great. What is the main lesson that you have learned when it comes to a scaling a company like yours? A lot of lessons in scaling, actually. The only thing that I learned is what helped you move the needle from A to B would not necessarily be uh, the same thing that would help you move the needle from B to C. You got to be on your feet. Keep thinking about the challenges the market throws at you. Keep thinking about how you scale up. And there are different levels of scale, right? So there was a time when we were adding like a couple of thousand dollars a month in MRR. And then we basically came to a time when we started adding a couple of thousand dollars a day in MRR. So different challenges that you encounter in different parts uh, of the game. You got to be aware of different levers that really help you scale. The one thing that strikes me is you should not be hesitant to try out different things, right? 
I'll give a very simple example here. The market that we cater to currently is predominantly the small and medium-sized businesses. We tried LinkedIn ads about a couple of years back. We failed with the LinkedIn ads, but knew we gave it our best shot and realized that the key reason why we failed was because our audience was simply not there on LinkedIn. When we realized that most of our audiences were there on Facebook, we kind of doubled down on what we did with the Facebook ads and uh, that resulted in significant growth for us. The bottom line that I'm trying to drive is you should not be hesitant to try out different things. That's also not to say that LinkedIn would never work for Watchflow, right? As we go up market, as our product matures, and as we try to cater to a lot of bigger e-commerce stores, quite possible that uh, LinkedIn uh, may become a potential channel for us tomorrow. Again, the bottom line that I'm trying to drive is we need to be open to trying out different things uh, at different points in time. That's a good point. And uh, you're right, because again, everything is dynamic. And if you keep you know, your mind very focused on just one thing, maybe that one thing works for a period of time, but may not be the best solution afterwards. But also from people's standpoint, I wonder if you had that experience that at one stage of the company, when you start, you need more creative-minded hackers, you know, kind of people who can find the solution right on the spot because not everything exists. So, you know, we as founders, we start things from nothing. So when you start, there is nothing there, zero. And that zero is a very good experience getting from zero to something that, you know, unless you have done it, you will not really understand what it means. And then it's not like from here getting there, it's from zero, nothing. And then you are starting. And then everything is getting started means a lot of creativity, a lot of hacking, a lot of on-the-fly thinking is happening at the time that you are growing and getting. And then you get to a certain stage that you have the minimum system in place. Then you have the support system in place. You have sales, you have marketing, you have product, you have QA, you have product management, you have UI, UX design, all of these pieces, you know, customer success, everything. You have all of these in place and then at the minimum system. And then it's a different phase of the company. Then you are growing and perfecting and getting to another stage that not only you have these, but they are actually good. And then at that point, you move from there, and then now you are going to scale it to a totally different level. So these are different stages of a company. And I wonder if you have experienced this with people that some people enjoy more being in one, participate in one phase more than they enjoy participating in other phases. For example, in one case, it's more about my ability to execute and plan versus how I can just change everything on the fly. So, you know, the executing the plan is the value you bring rather than just being. So how's your experience when people move and company moves forward? Some people may enjoy going from one phase to the other. Some people may want to just, you know, do differently. Is it something aligned with your experience or you have totally different model in mind? Oh, no, it perfectly aligns with our experience so far. So uh, in the initial stages, we basically, as you rightly said, we needed a lot of hacks, right? So uh, for example, I was driving marketing myself. I was driving some of these Facebook ads myself. That was really how we were doing it before. So as you keep growing, you realize that you need some structure to it. You need established processes 
so that you know things don't break so and as you rightly said not everyone enjoys every face right so as a founder i'm i'm enjoying each and every face thoroughly right it's like giving birth to a baby and then seeing it grow and you know helping it grow right so i enjoy each and every face but not everyone actually enjoys uh, all the faces right so i know some people who actually enjoyed the zero to one face you know where uh, they were doing a lot of things wearing a lot of hats and uh, doing multiple things at the same time and uh, helping us grow but that was kind of more individualistic performances and then as we scaled we realized that we needed people who had a lot of process orientation we started recruiting those kind of people in the team then as we have continued to scale we realized that uh, we also needed leaders who have been there done that in certain functions so we look for you know certain minimum parameters that these leaders should have gone through in their careers before so that uh, they are able to instantly add value when they come over to work at vachro so yeah uh, different faces not everyone enjoys everything so uh, most of the people who kind of love moving the needle from 0 to 1 uh, they don't really enjoy moving the needle from 1 to 10 as much so that's that's something that i've seen in my personal experience but i've also seen a lot of people adapt to that and continue to shine so i've seen both ways but it it all depends on uh, the kind of person that they are but yeah different experiences i would possibly kind of align with your thoughts that you know as we keep scaling Uh, we definitely need a lot of structure and process in my experience companies that have been able to scale massively they are the ones that have been able to bring a variety and diverse type of talents to the company so people that think differently about that problem so if you put the same problem in front of them some people may come from another angle to solve it so if everyone around the table is looking at the problem and they are very much thinking alike and proposing the similar kind of solution that may not be a good news for the company from a scaling perspective maybe it is at some degree today's job because everyone agree upon the same approach and they go and do it it's not a great news for tomorrow because then if you are all thinking alike and not thinking differently you're only able to solve a smaller problems not the bigger problems and as you scale it will limit your size at one point have you had that kind of experience of the diversity you want and the different way of thinking and sometimes jokingly i tell people that it's like you know when you recruit make sure you have someone who's a big fan of a spreadsheet and someone who's a big fan of you know document and word and somebody who's a big fan of presentation because they are complementary to each other and if everyone you hire in that team is a big fan of a spreadsheet they are going to just go with the same style and the others are not going to be covered and you need that right in every department of your company that you you have this blend of people what's your experience with that kind of diversity and that kind of variety of the way people think to complement each other i think diversity is very very important because if we have same kind of people all around then the thinking tends to be the same so only when we have diverse folks in the team we would actually see a lot of thoughts coming up and in fact i already see that happening within our leadership at vashro so they constantly challenge each other 
So they, they throw questions and uh, challenge the status quo. I think that's very, very important because only when you do that, you realize that there are certain things uh, that we could actually do better as a company. So I think to me, that's very, very important. That has definitely contributed significantly to the way we think and approach and solve problems. So definitely agree with you on that, that you know diversity is important. But at the same time, I would also caution against kind of being too divergent in thought and not being aligned to some of the basic goals and culture of the company. So we, we also have to make sure that, you know, while it is it is always great to have diversity in thought, we should also respect that there are certain common minimums that everyone needs to commit to so that there is alignment in the direction that the company is going towards. So I think that is also very important. We kind of need to balance out each other. At this point, I would like to ask you if you have any particular book in mind that you know you would suggest to the audience, or it might be a blog or something that you know you have enjoyed reading it. It has been impactful positively in what you do, and you would like to you know recommend to the audience. I used to read a lot of books before, mostly fiction. To be honest, I've not read a single management book in my life. I'm a great fan of Jeffrey Archer, Ken Foley, and uh, Dan Brown, and so on. So I've read a lot of those books. What I would recommend today is possibly none of those. What I read today very consistently is basically uh, the blogs of two companies. One is BVP, uh, Bessemer Venture Partners. I love their blogs, very well-researched and uh, talks a lot about scaling up and B2D and PLG and so on. So uh, topics that are very close to my heart. BBP is definitely a blog that I would recommend. The second is OpenView. So again, another uh, investor. OpenView, Blake Barlett of OpenView has actually been the person who coined the term PLG. So I haven't spoken to him or met him in my life, but the OpenView blog is definitely something that we've been following very closely at Vastro and picking up a lot of cues, in fact, on how we can mold and take Vajro from here. So uh, we, we take a lot of inspiration from OpenView blogs. So uh, these are two blogs that uh, I would definitely recommend today. Great recommendations. Um, I live very in walking distance from Besmer and I, I love what they do as well. And I have been in some of the sessions that they have been presenting, as you said, very thoughtful all the time. So great recommendations. Thank you very much for joining us today. It was a great discussion and hopefully, you know, our audience have enjoyed the discussions as much as I did. Thanks so much, Arman, for the opportunity. And I think uh, it was definitely an awesome discussion with you. Thank you for listening to SaaS Scaled with Arman Ashragi. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sasscaled.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.